The Dry Cleaner Cast presents Need to Know. Need to Know is a new quarterly podcast featuring conversations with security experts focused on the terrorism and intelligence stories dominating the headlines. This podcast is written, edited, and presented by Chris Carr. This is Need to Know. The world appears to be turning into a plotline from a Cold War novel, so I thought it may be a good idea to chat with a Cold War novelist to try and make sense of it all. So on today's episode of Need to Know, we're joined by author Jeremy Duns. Jeremy's written a number of Cold War-based novels, as well as books on contemporary issues such as the coverage of the Edward Snowden revelations back in 2013. Jeremy and I will have a look at a few stories of quarter eye from the Salisbury poisoning and the reaction to it. Just a quick note, since recording this episode, some good news has come through. The former spy, Sergei Skripal, who was poisoned in Salisbury, he has come out of critical condition. So fingers crossed he'll make a full recovery. Without further ado, this is Need to Know, and thank you again for listening. Opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the filmmakers and sponsors of the film, The Dry Cleaner. Jeremy, welcome to Need to Know. Hi, Chris, and thanks very much for having me on. It's great to have you here. And before we begin, just for the benefit of some listeners who may not be familiar with you, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? My name's Jeremy Duns. I am a British writer. I've written five books, uh, four spy novels set during the Cold War, and one non-fiction book about Oleg Penkovsky uh, called Dead Drop. And I live in the Orland Islands, which is uh, an archipelago of 6,500 islands between Finland and Sweden. Excellent. They, they look very nice. I've seen some pictures online and so, ah, oh, <laughs> as I was checking out where you were based. <laughs> they, are, they are very nice, but they're, they're a lot nicer in summer. Oh, uh, yeah, hard winters. <laughs> Well, um, Jeremy, thank you for joining me today. So we're going to be chatting a bit about, uh, just a bit of a list, we're going to be having a quick chat about sort of the reaction to the Salisbury poisoning. Um, and we're going to you know, go through a few articles that have caught our eye um, and, um, and just sort of just chat generally about it, really, because there's so much. I mean, I've been re-looking at it, and I, even I'm getting confused now by it all, but um, there's you know, so many sort of different reactions and reactions yeah. to the reactions that it's just sort of slowly but surely getting messier and messier, which is probably the uh, intention of certain parties. But anyway, yes, um, yes, so just, yeah, so just um, I'm going to quickly just recap for, um, for the benefit of our audience members. Members. Um, so on Sunday, the 4th of March in 2018, a former Russian intelligence officer, Sergei Skripal, and his daughter Yulia were found on a bench in a catatonic state in the town of Salisbury. It's subsequently been found the pair were poisoned. Then on the 12th of March, Prime Minister Theresa May said that the poison that had been used has been identified as one of the Novacek family of nerve agents, which are believed to have been developed by the Russian government in the 1980s. Since these events, um, speculation has run wild, and um, with the Russian state media in particular pushing out multiple theories suggesting that somehow maybe Porton Downs involved or agents of the British or American intelligence services are somehow behind the poisoning. So, um, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on the Salisbury poisoning? Well, I think you've summed up pretty well there what what's happened, and I think 
um, Russia has taken advantage of the fact that it's almost impossible uh, to know what happened uh, with something like this, which is the idea behind, of course, using a nerve agent rather than using, you know, normal methods of killing people like guns, uh, which are much more easily traced. The idea of using a nerve agent is that it, it can't really be traced. And... Um, you know, it's been revealed in the last, I think yesterday it was uh, the government claimed, the British government claimed that they had actually traced the laboratory within Russia. Uh, they have produced um, some uh, some indications to the public, but of course behind the scenes they have given their intelligence to lots of allies and this has resulted in, you know, expulsions and everything. So uh, the history and the pattern of Russian involvement Strong, you know, in this kind of assassination attempt or, or, or successful assassination, and in, in many cases like Litvinenko, strongly suggests. I would say Occam's razor, you know, principle strongly suggests the Russian state were behind it, and the British government, I think, has convinced many other uh, countries of this too. But the fact that we can never know this leaves um, opportunity for. Uh, Russia to deny it, to come up with other theories, and for lots of other people to to sort of step in with their own uh, conspiracy theories and, and ideas behind what's going on. And so I think that's what we're seeing now. Definitely. And actually, in the um, prior to what you were just mentioning from yesterday, so the day before, when Porton Down released a statement where they were saying that they've identified the agent but can't identify where it came from, speculation just went nuts on the internet and people... Yeah. yeah, they were sort of attacking Boris Johnson and and the government's reaction and and so on. Um, So it's a lot of air has been, um, yes, a lot of air for these conspiracy theories and things around this. Um, And I suppose, in a way, the yeah, as you're saying, sort of the nature of these kinds of crimes, it kind of leads to that kind of thing. I mean, um, yeah. So what we'll do quickly then is just, um, I mean, uh, I'm going to push us into some of the articles and things so um one one of the good pieces of information seems to be coming across about the poisoning is that um one of the victims yulia scripple was actually recovering um yes and there has been a very strange revelation um that there's there's been a phone well there's allegedly a recording of a phone call between yulia and a relative in russia and this phone call was then broadcast on russian state media and there's been a lot of speculation about the authenticity of the phone call and then also um one of uh, sergey scripple's nieces Victoria has appeared on a talk show alongside the two men suspected of poisoning Alexander Litvinenko back in 2006. Um, and these are the men that Russia refused to extradite to the UK to face trial for Alexander Litvinenko's murder. So it's all... Yeah. <laughs> it's got it's <quite> very weird. <laughs> I mean, that that is almost... I mean, it's surreal and, and almost, uh, if it wasn't so tragic, there, there's some kind of very dark comedy in the fact that, that Russia is so oblivious to... Um, how they come across that they they actually think I mean in a way it's irrelevant whether or not the phone call uh, that you that you mentioned is real the idea that you would boast about having effectively intercepted such a phone call thereby revealing that you you are operating a police state uh, as a defense against uh, the idea that you would assassinate or try to assassinate the same person that you're that you're bugging is just uh, you know who on earth would think 
of doing that. So, I mean, it, it's very, very revealing that they, they, they don't understand themselves that by telling the world, look, we've got a bugged phone call. You know, we, we're, we're bugging this person that you claim that we tried to assassinate. We can't possibly have done it. You know, it's just, uh, you know, absurd and, and doesn't really do them any favors. But no, I think it's, it's got very, very messy. And I mean, you mentioned the, the Port and Down statement. I mean, Port and Down, I think what, what they were essentially trying to say is, you know, our job is not, our job is to identify, you know, chemically what this is, not to identify where it could have been made because that, that relies on other intelligence. And that, that has been interpreted as, oh, they haven't, they, they can't identify. It's like, well, yeah, they, they have said that that's not, that's not what they do. They're, 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 they're looking at the, the um, biological and chemical properties of nerve agents, you know, and 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 these kind of weapons, they're not uh, trying to track down um, using other forms of intelligence. But lots and lots of people took that to mean that they had sort of denied that it was from Russia. And in between the gaps in those words, um, lots and lots of people have taken advantage of that, and lots and lots of people have have used it, including, of course, um, the Russians. But they they have really, you you know, British politicians have have some British politicians have taken that Kremlin line, which is then kind of uh, being recycled back, you know, back to into Russian state media. So, yeah, it's a complete mess of a story. And what what would really on the face of it, I mean, this is really, really fairly blatantly, uh, you know, Russian state attempted assassination on British soil. But somehow we've got to this stage only a couple of weeks later where all of this kind of um, cloud is hanging over it. Yeah, and I mean certainly friends of mine on online, and I, th- I I would I would say as a generalization, a lot of my friends because I sort of work in the media are generally left leaning. Some go a bit too far left, um, and some are just nutters. Um, and um, <laughs> bless them. Um, and um, yeah, I hope they're listening. Yeah, they're actually, <laughs> I don't know if they are. Um, I apologise if they if they are listening, but uh, bless them. Um, but yeah, I've seen some incredible debates the last few days, and obviously the main focus seems to have been um, number one attacking Boris Johnson. Now I'm not usually fully against attacking Boris Johnson. I'm not a big fan of. No, his. I'm I'm for it. I mean, yeah. That's a- yeah. <laughs> exactly and unfortunately for um, us and obviously I'm being a bit political here but Boris Johnson is currently our foreign secretary and yeah. he is a bit loose with his words and kind yeah. of exaggerates things he's very kind of bombastic is probably yeah. a polite way of putting things that's very polite yeah yeah um, and and so it's because obviously with the the doubt raised by the important down statement suddenly people have taken it as an opportunity to um, attack Boris Johnson and his claims and and I, I, I can't remember now so I think somebody was calling for his resignation but I could be wrong on that one but certainly I know um Jeremy Corbyn and Jeremy Corbyn's supporters are certainly uh, Jeremy Corbyn said some of the lines of that Boris Johnson now has egg on his face and yeah. um a lot of his supporters are yeah, I think t- Owen Jones called for him to resign Boris Johnson to resign oh did it yeah so yeah. so there is a lot of that going on and I don't, um, I don't think Boris Johnson will be you know listening to that too much but yeah, yeah. I mean he's a popular you know it's it's brilliant because then suddenly the thing is distracted from you know actually you know fairly Clearly, Russia has has tried to, you know, bump off one of their, uh, you know, what they re- what they regard as a traitor. They've done this before. Um, we know that this is a pattern of what they're doing. But you know, if if you want to just just you know deflect away from that, you know, the idea that you can you can have a go at Boris Johnson instead is absolutely perfect. And um, yeah, Boris Johnson being Boris Johnson, he has unfortunately given people enough rope 
for them to do that. But I don't think that changes, you know, the basic, you know, story very much. As far I mean, I, I, we can't be certain that it was Russia ever. So mm. as long as we can't be certain, there's always going to be room for this kind of stuff. Well, it, it kind of, it sort of, Putin reminds me of uh, um, Kevin Spacey's character in House of Cards, where he says one thing in the scene and turns the camera and says something else. It's almost like, yeah. I always feel like with these situations that the um, the Russian media and the reaction is kind of like winking to the camera. They're sort of saying, oh, no, of course we didn't do it. And then turning to us and sort of saying, yeah, we did, really. It kind of feels that yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, they haven't reacted in a way that you would expect any, st- you know, if it had, if, say, Theresa May, I mean, she gave this ultimatum to Russia originally when this first happened. She said, look, we have intelligence that, that suggests it's you and we give you, a, you know, however many days it was to to reply to this. I mean, say she had instead accused Holland you know, or someone like that, they would not have reacted in the way Russia would have done. They would have reacted by saying, look, I mean, this is outrageous, not us, but, you know, we're very, this is tragic and we will do whatever we can and, you know, we will help in whatever way. There's absolutely no concern from Russia whatsoever uh, until very conveniently this phone call that was intercepted, uh, you know, a couple of days ago about the victims of this. Um, And instead, it's just been, you know, they have come up with, you know, a billion different uh, things, you know, and it's actually the British who've done it and all sorts of stuff. It's not really the reaction that you would expect from a a serious state and of course you know russia is not a you know it's not a democratic state we we i think we part of this is that we still have a little bit of a hangover from the days when we thought that russia was you know originally when putin came to power uh, the West was so uh, kind of optimistic and hopeful that this guy, you know, would actually be the real deal. And they've kind of, you know, been in, you know, the G7, the G8 and, and all of that stuff. And we still kind of tend to see Russia as being a valid state in those terms. And it, it really isn't. That, I think that's part of the problem in, in UK public opinion anyway. Definitely. Um, wait, quick couple of points and, and just in what you're saying. Um, there was a really interesting book I, used to, I read years ago about lie detecting. It's called Spy the Lie. Yeah. In that book, they were saying that one of the quickest tells to tell somebody's lying or not, if you give somebody, a, if you directly accuse someone of something, an innocent person will generally in the first sentence deny it and you know you know and be very sort of straightforward about it whilst the liar would tend to deflect a little bit and so in the example they give it's something about um some money has been stolen from uh from, from within the cia a charity box of money and they're asking some people you know did you do it and the person who did do it when they asked them did you do it their reply was oh of course i wouldn't do it i was a i'm a christian i'd never do such a thing right Whilst everybody else pretty much said, no, I didn't do it. And then they would might say an extra bit with it, but they would just deny it outright at the very beginning. The Russian reaction to that question would be, of course I didn't do it, you did it, and also someone else did it. And, and uh, you know, I mean, they really have come up with, you know, a huge, huge number of stories uh, to, to counter what would what should simply be a denial. Yeah, and, and it's amazing. So the chief of Russia's Foreign Intelligence Service, the SVR, um, who's the equivalent of MI6, has claimed at a security conference just on the 4th of April that the um, that the Scripple case is actually a grotesque provocation staged by the US and British security services. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's amazing. I mean, that's language straight out of the Cold War. I mean, really, you know, grotesque provocation and all this kind of staged. I mean, the, the, the we've, we've gone back to the Cold War effectively. Um, I mean, I've listened to... Uh, some of the other podcasts mm. you've had Edward Lucas on a couple of times, yeah. and he he was really 
attacked when his book the new cold war came out uh, that he was this kind of complete hawk and and you know he wanted a, a new war with russia and all this kind of stuff and i mean sadly he i think has been proven you know spot on and we we've kind of come out of a, a, a lull and we are now right back to the kind of rhetoric i mean it's very very scary and very dangerous in many ways um but you know the reality is that um you know Basically, we're looking at um, Cold War style, you know, assassination attempts uh, in the West. Um, so all, all Russia has is this kind of, I mean, they, they've, it's gone wrong. They mm. didn't manage to kill the scripples. So this is the, the, the blowback and the aftermath of that. This is the kind of reaction that you're, you're going to get. But I mean, tragically, for people who remember the Cold War, I mean, it, no one want no one wants to go back to the Cold War. No. Uh, the idea that people are kind of rubbing their hands with glee, I mean, yeah, perhaps there are some you know complete you know right wing lunatics, but generally speaking, uh, you know, that's a disaster. But unfortunately, that's where we are. Well, yeah, and this is, and I think a lot of people, I suppose. Um, as you were saying earlier about a lot of people have this sort of idea that Russia is this sort of 1990s style democratic state. Yeah. Um, and they just don't, they haven't really kind of caught up with things that have been going on. I mean, I would have thought that the killing of Alexander Litvinenko back in 2006 would have raised a few eyebrows. And certainly yeah. the kind of constant um, uh, Russian aircraft trying to sort of penetrate British airspace and test our air defences. And, and also yeah. through an interview I had the other day, I found out a, a nuclear armed submarine had been through the Irish Channel. So it's like, crikey. Yeah. No worry. Yeah, I mean, I, I have, I, I, I mean, I think a lot of it is wishful thinking. And uh, as I said earlier, I live, live in the Baltic. And, I mean, there are news reports constantly. I mean, Russia is constantly pushing things here. There's been, you know, actual kind of ferries in the Baltic that have had to um, stop their, you know, daily kind of commutes because of uh, Russian interference here. And and Putin is really, really testing things and pushing things and all sorts of, you know, provocations from, you know, cyber attacks. And there's there's a lot of stuff going on. But, but you know... Uh, as with everything involved with, um, you know, espionage or intelligence, you know, much of this is um, beneath the surface. And we also have, you know, uh, to a degree in the West, a healthy disregard of um, secu our security services. But it, it often, I think, now tips over into a kind of unhealthy disregard where, where now, I mean, if this had happened 10 years ago, um, almost everyone in Britain would have thought, yeah, I mean, this is outrageous. How dare, how dare Russia try to assassinate people on british soil it's a it's a sort of slam dunk obvious case that it's russia but now uh, perhaps perhaps i'm being too optimistic 10 years ago perhaps you'd have to go further back but certainly there, there was a point not so long ago where people would really have taken on board uh, the prime minister saying that you know our intelligence services are very very sure about this but now everyone almost everyone not just your online friends almost everyone just kind of dismisses anything that the government or intelligence services say and i think that's a real problem for them because i mean this you could not get sort of a more obvious case than this one and yet here we are kind of mired in a million conspiracy theories nevertheless so how how to get out of that i don't know yeah it's weird i mean you know to me it does seem obvious it's russia's behind this but that's because i've been over the last sort of four or five years um sort of looking at russia and what it does and certainly edward lucas's book the um there's quite a few deception was the first one i read and then there's the new cold war which is yeah. the one released in 2009 it really um spelled out the 
how Rush has sort of changed since the 90s. Because I think one big thing that maybe a lot of people are not aware of, uh, unless they listen to this podcast, um, is that the the Russians had a very bad 1990s and um, a kind of narrative formed in Russian culture that Putin's definitely exploited during his presidency. This idea that, um, that NATO and the West are trying to cripple Russia and keep Russia in a weak place. Yeah. And so this narrative, you know, gained popularity in the time when Russia was going through some extreme hardships, you know, because Russia was going from a, a communist mm-hmm. state to trying to become a democratic one where, you know, and that's a huge turn. And um, it's, you know, a complete rethinking of their economic system. And obviously, unfortunately, some individuals, you know, exploited that. And as we had the rise of Russian mafia, and mm. you know, God knows what else. So I think it was a, you know, and and so many people I think in the UK are unaware of that. Um, and it and I think that feeds into this sort of dis, distrust of our intelligence services today because you know people seem to be at the moment listening to what Russia is saying about it, the accused, yeah. rather than the victim. Yeah, and I think I mean I think that's absolutely right. And I think I think also I mean a lot of people um, have forgotten about Litvinenko, which is not very long ago. I mean, you know. People who argue that you know Russia was Russia wasn't behind this. Um, if you say, well, then who do you think was behind Litvinenko? They normally go a little bit quiet. Um, there was a, a brilliant uh, investigation by BuzzFeed uh, last year, last June. I don't know if you saw this, uh, called "From Russia with Blood." Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, and that that was like a two-year investigation that came out, you know, as I say, well before this happened. And that's about fourteen unexplained deaths uh, attributed to to Russia uh, on British soil um, that American intelligence informed the British about, and that BuzzFeed revealed had had really kind of been kind of dismissed by by the British authorities. And it, if you read that story, it's it's quite difficult. I mean, this this was not this this happened before the Scripple case, long before it. If you read that story, it's a little bit tricky to then read that and think, yeah, yeah, no, Russia had nothing to do with this. So I think, I mean, as I say, you can never be certain in these kind of things, um, and that that leaves room for this, uh, you know, for conspiracy theories to breed. And I think, as you say, the 1990s. But I think you can even go in Britain further back. I think um, a huge thing. Uh, in this kind of espionage conspiracy theory world in Britain was Spycatcher, the book to write. And this got a lot of people interested in espionage. And it was the first kind of huge, huge whistleblower uh, thing from British intelligence. And the government tried to ban it very unwisely. And, you know, it was published in Australia and everything. And I remember when that came out and and my dad wanted a copy and everyone wanted to get hold of this thing. And because he had... Um, you know, being quite senior, Peter Wright in MI5, um, people presumed that everything he said was completely authoritative. And it, it created this environment where people just thought that, therefore, everything that MI5 or MI6 say has to be untrue. Um, and that's, that's I think, we, we're also living with that kind of hangover. So I think that's a very, that's, I mean, we've seen this, Porton Down, GCHQ, even Theresa May, they have struggled to get out a clear message uh, about, you know, one of, you know, fairly, must be one of the most clear-cut cases of Russian uh, interference on British soil uh, in since the Cold War. And they've really struggled to get that message out. Yeah. Do you, well, here's a question, do you think um, the government sort of reacted too hard and too fast? 
You mean by giving this ultimatum? Yeah, well, not just the ultimatum, but then expelling the diplomats and things like that. Um, because obviously the police haven't finished their investigation yet. I think possibly. Um, it's really hard to say because, I mean, we're, we're outsiders looking at this. We don't have the intelligence that they have. If you're, you know, if you're being, I, I said healthy disregard earlier. I mean, I think they're, you know, I'm not someone who's, I'm not advocating believing everything that they say. That would be completely absurd. So yes, they could well have made mistakes. And we've, we've certainly seen, you know, as you said, Boris Johnson as the foreign secretary doesn't give you a huge amount of um, comfort or confidence that, you know, everyone knows what they're doing particularly. But I would say that the, the expulsion would definitely suggest to me that they have extremely strong intelligence uh, for this. Because also, it's not just Britain who's expelled. I mean, many, many other countries have also expelled uh, Russian diplomats. So to do to do that, you have to you can't just say to them, please, can you do that? You have to give them something pretty concrete, I would have thought. So I would say that they they're probably very, very sure about it. Yeah. And yeah, as you're saying, these other countries have had to um, have also ex expelled diplomats. And, um, you know, they've got to bear in mind their own relations with Russia. They won't just take our word for it. I'm no, no, sure. they're not. They're not just doing it on a whim. No. I mean, exception. Of, I mean, sort of amazing exception, of course, is Trump, who who eventually did expel some diplomats. But it's now been revealed that you know I think he expelled sixty diplomats. But he's it's now been revealed that he's he's going to allow another sixty in in their place. So he effectively, he hasn't actually done anything at all. Um, but I think you know, in convincing Germany, for example, and some of these other countries, I I think you'd have to have some pretty good intelligence to do that. Definitely. And just for the benefit of the listeners who are not familiar with the Russian diplomats, so these Russian diplomats who are expelled are not just diplomats. They're suspected Russian intelligence officers using diplomatic cover, which is pretty yeah. standard in the spy business, isn't it, of using diplomatic cover? Yeah, I mean, this is the biggest expulsion of diplomats in this manner since the Cold War, since, <clears throat> in Britain anyway, since uh, I think it was 1971. And this, in terms of percentage, I think this was actually more. And yes, I mean, essentially, um, it's it's making two statements. First of all, it's saying, you know, to Russia, we're punishing you. But secondly, it's saying, we know all of these people were spies. You know, we know who your spies were in the embassies, um, in, in, in your consulars and in, in your, you know, all your diplomatic corps. We know that these people were intelligence officers. So it's giving... A couple of messages there as well, I think. Definitely, and it's highly likely that the Russian uh, diplomat stroke intelligence officers based in the UK may well have been involved in at least helping um, with the logistics of the Scripple case. Yeah, of course, that's a that's a, a reason to to go that way. We've we've determined from our intelligence that this is a state-sponsored um, attack, and it's using your nerve agent. Therefore, for you to have done this, uh, you would have needed. Uh, to have travelled travelled with it, very dangerous stuff, and you would have needed, um, you know, organisation. And the people most likely to do that are the people who are running your station uh, in the UK, and the people who are doing that are working uh, behind diplomatic cover um, in in your embassy. So therefore, those people are most likely responsible. So we're going to expel them. That's the rationale for it. Yeah, and and um, Fred Burton on my show last week was sort of suggesting that it's quite likely diplomatic pouches may well have been used to ferry these items into the UK. So, you know, that definitely um, puts a question mark um, over the Russian embassy. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, I'm not an expert on nerve agents by any means, uh, and, and most people these days seem to be, but I think, <laughs> I think that if I'm right, the, the, the whole point of this particular 
uh, family of nerve agents is you could you can put them together using fairly innocuous substances. Mm. So you could use a diplomatic cap pouch to send different bits and uh, assemble. I mean, it sounds very, I don't know if you ever read or saw The Fourth Protocol, uh, Frederick Forsyth uh, novel that was made into a film, but that's what they do with, with a nuclear weapon and that. I mean, all of, all of this is very thriller sounding, which I think is also another reason why there's a lot of conspiracy theories about, because we're also, I mean, I write thrillers, and this is exactly... You know, if I was writing a thriller about this, Russia being behind it is completely boring. That's t that's totally predictable. Oh, so it's a Russian nerve agent to kill a you know Russian traitor. You know, uh, oh wow, what a surprise! It's Russia. That's just no plot twist, and everyone can see that coming. So to make it more interesting, you need to have lots and lots of double crosses and 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 twists and turns in the action, and and come up with something completely you know original that no one will be able to see coming. And in a way, I think a lot of uh, the conspiracy theories are, are a little bit like that, coming up with kind of thriller scenarios um, that are more interesting than the truth, even though this is, a, by any standards, a very, very interesting um, reality. There's always a way to make things, you know, more interesting. And I think that's that's behind it. That urge is also behind it. Yeah. Just a, a tangent thought, just based on what you were saying earlier about Spycatcher. Because um, Spycatcher was, co was um, ghostwritten by Paul Greengrass, who's gone on was, to direct yeah. the Bourne films, isn't it? And yeah. um, I always find, I like the Bourne films to a point, but at the same time, they do push this idea that the CIA just go around assassinating people all the time and acting lawlessly, which I'm assuming fits yeah. in with Paul Greengrass's worldview. I could be wrong, but um, it's, it's yeah. so bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Peter Wright, I mean, there's lots that's great in Spycatcher, but mm. when I wrote my book Dead Drop, uh, which is about, I mentioned earlier, is about Penkovsky, I really did a lot of research into Penkovsky. And um, Spycatcher was written before um, the CIA uh, declassified all of their debriefs with Penkovsky. So in 1992, five years after Spycatcher, the CIA actually put all of that stuff online. So you can actually just read all the transcripts of all of the, um, you know, interviews that they had with Penkovsky in, in London and Paris and elsewhere. And then if you compare that to what Peter Wright five years before had said was going on about Penkovsky, you realize that it's just bluff. It's just, you know, a, a guy who knew a little bit about what was going on. But I mean, he wasn't in MI6 who were running this. He just heard stuff and he put sort of two and two together and, and made 57. And, and he there's a lot of conspiracy theory in it. And I think this is what really happens when you, when you, when you know a lot about a particular subject, when you have researched, you know, in depth a subject, you then can start to see where superficial things kind of fall down a little bit. Um, and that, for me, I mean, I was really, really fascinated by Spycatcher um, when I was younger. But then when I was actually looking at you know, I mean, there's stuff in there that he says is just completely untrue and I knew I could prove was untrue from, you know, documents that show it, that show it now that we know. Um, and so then you have to reevaluate. I mean, the main thing with him was that um, he was really, really bitter about his pension. Uh, M5 had kind of withheld his pension. And that's, you know, when you're assessing any spy, uh, you know, any any motivation, you're, you're going to be looking at this kind of thing. But that was completely, you know, no one paid any attention to this because everyone was so fascinated that someone was revealing what was going on in British intelligence that everyone focused on that more. Yeah, no. And it reminds me, there was a book that came out in the very early 2000s by Richard Tomlinson. Is it The Big Breach? Yes. Called. And um, I must admit, I thoroughly enjoyed that book. I have no idea how much of it's actually true. Um, but it was certainly some really interesting descriptions about the spy training, about sort of 
um, how the inner workings of MI6 sort of um, operate. And one thing that I found very interesting, um, which actually is in my film, um, is about the kind of the fact that MI6 agents like everybody else have targets they have to work towards and they have to produce so much sort of intelligence per year to kind of to be justified in their job which i found quite an interesting insight that Um, sounds plausible he he too was obviously very bitter and and there have been several um whistleblowers like this i mean the thing is that there's lots and lots there will be lots and lots of genuine stuff in there there is lots and lots of genuine stuff in spy catcher the problem is when you start to think that everything in it is true and I mean, this is also how propaganda, of course, works. And this is, you know, you need to have some truth. If there's some truth to something, then you can believe the stuff around it as well. Because, yeah, well, they're right about that bit. So then they, they, they're they surely also right about all these other things. And, you know, there's a huge, a huge amount to be gained also by the fact that these people, you know, worked, you know, they, they were in this. Um, so the authority that, that comes from having worked with M- within MI5 or within MI6 and the fact that this is completely secret means that you can say quite, I mean, it's virtually impossible to, to disprove this stuff. I mean, Peter Wright got a bit unlucky that the CIA, you know, then declassified lots of stuff that he had no idea they would declassify, proving him, proving that he was wrong. But generally speaking, in, in nonfiction books about espionage, it's a, it's a huge problem that people, you know, insiders can say things and you don't really know what to believe. This, of course, is the same problem with Theresa May's statements. We don't actually know. And uh, as long as you don't know, you know, there's always room for coming up with something else. Yeah, well, this segues nicely into something. We were, um, there's a really great documentary or radio documentary that you pointed out to me um, from Radio 4 called Disinformation, a user's guide. Yes, yes. And there was one bit in there particularly that stood out for me um, was the idea so disinformation obviously is there to spread doubt and confusion in your in your target and one timely point in the documentary is that the idea of disinformation itself is a very powerful force even if there is no actual disinformation yeah and, yeah, uh, I think I think you did that very, very, very cleverly. That even if you're if just being worried about the fact that it might be disinformation might affect how you see it. I thought another, I mean, another point is perhaps obvious, but it, it really struck home to me was this idea that with the Nazis, mm. um, most Germans did not believe everything that the Nazis said. For example, about the Jews, um, but they were uh, kind of. Uh, open they were they were um the victims of so much propaganda you know there was so much thrown at thrown at the population that after a while even if you didn't have an anti-semitic bone in your body you know in say you know 1932 by the time you got to 1938 or whatever it was uh where you had just had you know masses and masses of material about the jews running the world and all this kind of stuff even if you didn't believe the most extreme things and even if you thought yes of course uh you know the government is trying to feed me all this propaganda about the jews what did seep in is well there might there must be something about them because everyone's talking about them it's taken over the conversation if everyone is saying that this is this is a completely evil you know malevolent force in the world even if i don't believe the very very worst things i do at least accept the premise and that essentially that was more important to get the whole population to just accept the premise that Jews were bad in some way was more important than than the, the particular ideas that, you know, that they're, they're actually running the whole world for this particular reason. And I thought that was interesting and, and applies now to, for example, you know, Russian propaganda. I mean, we're talking about the Salisbury case. I mean, that, that's that's a classic example of it. They're not really Russia's not really interested in whether or not you you believe one theory or another. It's just 
they're just trying to make you think that it's not them. So because everyone's saying that it must be someone else, it might be someone else, it can't be them. What about this? What about that? Have you thought about that? Even people who at the beginning were very sure about it start thinking, hmm, yeah, but everyone's saying that it might not be them. So maybe it's not them. And that's basically the, the entire purpose of the disinformation. Yeah, and it becomes exhausting because, quite frankly, um, unless like you know like i've tried to do um you you can't really follow it after a period of time because you've got other things going on you know you have a life to live and work to do and um unless you're kind of monitoring this thing almost permanently it's very easy very quickly to lose track of it all yeah which is the idea it's just to throw enough mud um so that something sticks and it becomes part of the background noise and now everyone is debating boris johnson or that you know people end up debating all of these theories and they you know and even if the theories are complete nonsense you know to debate the theory means that you are moving away from what was originally being under discussion which is that russia you know has committed this attack so that's that's the idea behind it you know to get everyone fatigued and to start doubting everything Mm. and it's been pretty effective i would say no definitely and interestingly so that this might maybe a good segue into this but um you know there's been with some of the reactions to salisbury um again my um well-meaning left-leaning friends uh, i get random messages from people uh, between my kind of um corbyn rants i get messages from people um about uh, all the sort of things going on in the world and a friend of mine sent me a link to um this craig murray story that's sort of been going around twitter and all over the place oh, where, where craig murray's sort of trying to equate the weapons of mass destruction um downing street dossier scandal to to what's going on with salisbury and i know you had some thoughts yeah. on this particular piece yeah i mean well he's written several now i mean i think he he's quite similar in some ways to to peter wright and, and Spycatcher in that he's got a certain amount of authority because he was a former ambassador a former british ambassador in uzbekistan and he was a whistleblower and he was quite praised you know at that time when, when that happened um and so people you know can point to him you know media outlets russian media outlets but others as well can point to him and say you know the former british ambassador craig murray as if that means that you know he's suddenly an expert on every single you know thing that happens because what happens is you know now he's an expert on nerve agents you know now now he's an expert on this and and then when you're discussing him in this context you can say well you know he's former british ambassador but then if you look at his uh, website and you look at all his blog posts he sees conspiracies you know everywhere pretty much and on all of them he's an expert in all of these kind of things and on each occasion if it happens to get into the media, it's like, well, he's a former British amb- ambassador, so he must know about this thing. But can he really know about about all of these things? Um, it's a conspiratorial uh, mindset he has, and I mean, his he he wrote that that about uh, it being another WMD scam, um, and then a couple of days later, he he wrote another article. Um, so he wrote the the Novichok stories, indeed another Iraqi WMD scam. That's the article you're mentioning on the 14th of yeah. March, and then he wrote another article two days later um, uh, called "Of a Type Developed by Liars," and this is where he's talking about how um, he, he's really looking at the precise phrasing used by um, Porton Down, where they've said that the, the nerve agent is of a type developed by Russia, and he, he's kind of from that he's he's really in advance of this whole thing with boris johnson he's coming up with the idea that this means that they don't know it's russia and about halfway down this article he suddenly out of nowhere says israel has extensive stocks of chemical weapons but has always refused to declare any of them you know and it's like what 
he doesn't explain at any point you know why why is israel going to be involved in trying to kill you know a russian on british soil you don't need there's not even any attempt to explain and of course from his perspective this is completely reasonable people pointed this out to him what on earth are you doing he said well you know i haven't said it is israel i've just raised that it might be someone else but if you look at his website there's an awful lot about israel uh he seems to see israel behind quite a lot of things so i mean the the initial reaction by jeremy corbyn was um very very weak uh in on the salisbury attack and he didn't really back theresa may and as a result of this i don't know if you saw uh several labor mps um proposed um an early day motion an edm yeah. uh, saying that they they unequivocally accepted that Russia was behind it and supported the UK government. Mm. And Craig Murray tweeted uh, in response to this, remarkable correlation between Labour MPs who attacked Corbyn in EDM, wanting no investigation into Salisbury before firmly attributing blame, and parliamentary Labour friends of Israel. I wonder why. Uh. And it's like... So I think, I, I, for me, I think I find it very, very hard to take this guy seriously. And and uh, you need to look at, you know, how he's putting this stuff together, I think. Yeah, and the problem is um, blaming Israel for everything is a very popular conspiracy theory uh, in many places from both the Middle East to, you know, to Europe. Um, and with the rise of far-right politics as well, I think, unfortunately, those kind of conspiracy theories seem to kind of go on and on, like the infamous Protocols of Zion, which was obviously mentioned in the documentary we were talking about earlier. And yeah. the, the, not many people know, well, I don't know if many people know this, but the Protocols of Zion was actually created by the um, the Russian secret police uh, pre the Russian Revolution and uh, by the, is it, is it Ograhana, the Russian secret police yeah. back then? Yeah. Um, and it was this sort of, the idea behind it was it was a document that was claiming to be the minutes of some sort of special secret meeting between a council of um, Zionist Jewish elders. Um, and it's sort of like a, a blow-by-blow account of how, how to take over the world. But the thing is that the document is a complete fraud. It's actually based on a play, a satirical play that was written in the 1800s by a Frenchman called Maurice Jollet, who was sort of writing this play as a protest against his own government government at the time. And it was this sort of fictional conversation between Machiavelli and Montanescu, who are both political theorists, in hell about how to take over the world. So then the Russian secret police just cherry-picked bits and pieces from, from the play and turned it into the Protocols of Zion, which is still quoted in many mm. far right circles and you know extremist Islamic circles, yep. you know as fact. Um, I've you know it, it's you know I think at least once a year somebody somewhere quotes it to me personally as fact. I'm like really. Yeah, <laughs> like- I mean I think that's absolutely right. And I think the problem I have with Craig Murray is he's kind of in a way. I mean he's not far right. He's not he's not quoting the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, but in a way that's sort of more difficult it is a little bit more insidious because of course if someone starts quoting the protocols of the elders of zion they're a nutter and you know that they're probably you know an actual nazi but he's got i mean craig murray was on sky news had him on talking about uh, salisbury the other day so he he's kind of on the fringes of the mainstream still and a lot of people do take him quite seriously i mean there was a hilarious thing a couple of years ago uh where he had posted something on his website about julian assange and um the women who had accused julian assange and he actually named them and, and kind of attacked them. And uh, in response to this, um, a couple of journalists uh, on Twitter, um, Guardian journalist Hadley Freeman 
and Marina Hyde and a couple of other people were kind of basically taking the mickey out of him saying, you know, this is, you know, I mean, they were they were outraged, but they were they were having a, a laugh at his expense. And a few people joined in. And then in response to this, Greg Murray wrote a wrote a blog in which he, he screenshot this conversation and he made a link between all these journalists cl- claiming they were all Zionists. Uh, and that this was part of a, a unionist because he was, you know, um, supporting uh, Scotland coming out of, of Britain. And this was a unionist Zionist media nexus. Um, and you're, you're really, you know, this is really playing with uh, anti-Semitic tropes about, you know, Jews controlling the media. And so he he's really, for me, a very, very dodgy source to use. Um, but he's got a lot of attention uh, recently. I mean, uh, many people, you know, Paul Mason, for example, many, many uh, people uh, on the, in Labour and on the left of Labour. Um, have uh, spread his his um, blog pieces about Salisbury in the last couple of weeks, but I think it's a I think he's not someone uh, to take all that seriously. Well, no, and you raise an interesting question about sort of sourcing. I was thinking about using this as the final point, but maybe this is more relevant now. But um, you know, it's very interesting how uh, people today online seem to be incapable of a basic Google search of who has written something they're reading. Because I tend to find, yeah. I try as a rule of thumb myself, if I'm reading something from somebody I've never read before. Um, so let's say it was Craig Murray, for example. Um, uh, I if I get an, if I feel an emotional reaction, both positive and negative, from this piece, I tend to just take a moment and Google who this person is and just see what information's on there about them. And on top of that, if I'm reading it within, like, should we say, the Guardian, I then look within the Guardian, see what else they've written, and like, you know, you can see very quickly from their kind of headlines about how they position certain things that you've got you know that you remember from the past and you can ask yourself well do i agree with that um and what else is people are people saying about this person you know are they a known conspiracy theorist or something it's just fascinating people don't do that yeah and i mean of course someone can say someone's a conspiracy theorist and Mm. even that doesn't mean they are but yes as you say you have to read and you have to have to assess and and i mean i think what's what's kind of ironic about this is this is what conspiracy theorists claim that they do I mean, they claim that they are sceptical of sources. You know, they don't believe anything in the mainstream media is all lying. But then they're completely credulous about someone like Craig Murray. Um, and they won't apply any scepticism whatsoever to anything in the alternative media. They won't apply any scepticism to Russia Today or any kind of lunatic who has a blog. But the entire um, point that they're trying to make is that, you know, we're actually uh, people who aren't just taking people's word for things. We're investigating. We're looking into things and we're digging down and we're actually, you know, going through everything. But I've often found, you know, uh, for example, with someone like Craig Murray, if I will, if I question something, something like that on 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 Twitter, I'll often find people will try to engage me in an argument about it and say, why do you think this? And, you know, what don't just dismiss it. You know, how what's he got wrong and all this kind of thing. Um, and, you know, sometimes they do this very abusively or, or from the, from the off, I, I realize that they're not worth, you know, discussing anything with. But sometimes it seems that, you know, this is in good faith and it's worth having a discussion. And yeah, sure, I shouldn't just, you know, dismiss something offhand and let's explain it and let's have a discussion about it. But inevitably, uh, at some point in the conversation, they will send me. Um, a link and say, well, what about this then? As if it's a kind of trump card, and it will be from some sort of Holocaust denying site, yeah. or something. and and it, or it will be something that they just clearly have not read um, that says the opposite 
of what they think it says. And um, a lot a lot of this is that we're bombarded by too much information. Uh, there's too much stuff out there. And people aren't, I mean, that BuzzFeed investigation I mentioned before, it took them two years to do it. I think there's five, five bylines on it. I really wonder how many people have actually read that story. Um, it's much easier to read the headline in the first paragraphs of things that seem to say the kind of thing that you hope that they will say and use that as some kind of smoking gun. Yeah. But as you say, people people don't and it takes to do what you're talking about is what you should do but it takes time it takes to go through you know someone's articles and look at look around the context but if you really find out if you if you're really alleging something quite serious then yeah of course you should be looking at that yeah yeah and i i mean yeah sorry it just reminded me the other day um I, I, it was over the weekend. Um, a follower of ours on the on the the um, dry cleaner cast uh, Twitter page, who's actually a friend of mine, um, yeah. was I, I think I'd retweet. Is one of your nutter nutter online friends. Yeah, <laughs> he's a very he's a very nice man, really. Um, but <laughs> he just has some very strange views. Bless him. Um, and he's actually a writer as well. So, uh, but okay. um, but he is on the uh, cons- I'll, I'll, it's probably not the right phrase. Conspiracy but- wing. Yeah, conspiracy spectrum, conspiracy wing, <laughs> and occasionally says things right. that raise an eyebrow. And over the weekend, he decided to tweet at me about how you, know, you shouldn't believe the MI5 run BBC stroke ITV news about the Salisbury poisoning. <laughs> and it, it did, yeah. um, that particular conversation degenerated into, um, I, I just took it into gifts. I couldn't be asked really. But um, it was mm. just, but there are people out there who just think that, oh my goodness, you know, it's on the BBC, so it must be a lie. And it's just insane. Yeah. And that, that seems, I mean, this, the, that's a really sad trend, I think. And, and I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it, I mean, it's on the left, it's on the, on the, you know, on the, on the far left, on the far right, but now it's even on the center. So you have, you know, Andrew Adonis, Lord Adonis is going on a complete sort of rant on Twitter about the um, the British Brexit, you know, uh, broadcasting corporation. And uh, this is a centrist. And, you know, these are real, these are real kind of nutty conspiracy theories that, um, you know, some people think the BBC was completely pro-Brexit and some people think they were completely anti-Brexit. And, uh, y- you know, the idea that the BBC is some sort of monolithic structure anyway um is a bit odd um but you know i mean I, I i my feeling about that is i mean it's pretty much a kind of center lefty kind of organization that is pretty much independent of government and i think you know if you want to start alleging other things you, you really need to have some serious serious evidence for it and most people you know if you ask your friend you know what's your evidence um for this you know that the mi5 run you know bbc or whatever it is i i think you'd be you know you'd be unsurprised perhaps that he would have very little evidence for it indeed in talk about evidence there was um i've oh god uh, through researching my short film um because my film talks about sort of um middle eastern inspired terrorism and so i've spoken to quite a few people um you know from the middle east um uh, different places and one thing that came up quite a lot um was this idea that this is some massive conspiracy somehow either run by america or israel that about 30 years ago that certain people predicted that um you know the middle east would turn into turmoil because america or, or israel had somehow secretly engineered events um, mm. And and so one day I did ask one person who said this to me. Well, you know what what information have you got? And they said, well, I, you know I've got these documents and things. Well, could you send them to me? I'd love to see them. They never mm. managed to be able to find them ever. No, you know, <laughs> no. 
but I mean, of course, part of again, it's a little bit um, going back to you know Spycatcher or or the Big Breach or any of these kind of things that some of this stuff is true. I mean, of course, you know, um, we meddled in the Middle East. Of course, mm. there are there are you know attempts at overthrowing you know governments and in fact successful uh, attempts and. And once you, you know, so you can, you know, and and we we also have propaganda, and it is the case that you know the BBC has been used by intelligence, and um, I mean I think that the Times story um, that they have actually identified precisely where the laboratory where Russia has made this nerve agent, uh, which has just come out. I mean the the timing of that that's just after the kind of Boris. Uh, fiasco. I mean, this is clear, clearly a, um, a leak from from British intelligence to the Times, and uh, British intelligence are, are using uh, the Times in that way. And I mean, I've, I've um, done some research, and I'm I'm writing something at the moment, which is, um, in fact, about how during the Cold War, uh, MI6 used journalists uh, both um, to how, get get their intelligence officers uh, plausible cover but also how they use them uh, for propaganda purposes. So, I mean, you know, conspiracies are real. There are there are conspiracies that happen. Um, the intelligence and espionage world, that's what they're about. They're, they're about doing sneaky stuff. But if you... You need to you need to know what you're talking about. You need to look at it properly. You need to assess the sources and and you you know if you have a kind of scattergun approach where everything that anyone says is unreal, then you start going down into kind of conspiratorial uh, a conspiratorial mindset where you can't take anything at face value. And 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 I think that way madness lies really. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. One interesting point about Mid- Middle Eastern meddling, which obviously Britain and America did do, is funny, nobody ever um, now I sound like a conspiracy crack now, but nobody ever talks about Russia's meddling in the Middle East during the Cold War. Every time I hear about it it's always about Britain and America, but one of the most popular ideologies in the Middle East during, you know, the sort of 50s to probably the 90s was communism. You know, it was it was Arab yeah. nationalism and communism. And a lot Well, that's, of- why, that's why we meddled. Because yeah. Because we were completely terrified of that yeah i mean of course that that's also another reason why we have all of this kind of thing is because um we're much more you know it's it's um we're much more se- we're much more interested in ourselves you know so saying how terrible we are is you know saying that um you know we've done the west has done awful things we we focus much more on what we've done than what anyone else has done um and that's a sort of liberal guilt thing i suppose um but also yeah we're we're shockingly underinformed about what other countries have got up to in terms of their espionage and their intelligence i mean that was the huge problem i think with spy catcher was that that really opened a pandora's box where where basically no one thought what's in the public interest here you know the people who read that book didn't think Okay, this is exposing lots and lots of stuff that yeah. the MI5 has done. But what in here is actually outrageous, and what you know, and they shouldn't have done, and what in here is just exposing what our intelligence services do? Of course, they do things that are, you know, decept- you know, of course they use deception, of course they they use trickery and secrets. That's their job. But what in here is actually valid that he's just exposing for no reason that, that no valid reason and what's illegitimate stuff what's things that they shouldn't have been doing and because we were just so interested and fascinated by the fact that we were learning about the secret world 
people lost that distinction. And I think that's happened increase it happened a lot with the Edward Snowden case. Um, people were just so fascinated to learn, you know, read all these documents. Oh, the NSA's done this and the NSA's done that. That the line between, yeah, but why shouldn't they have done that? You know, some of Edward Snowden's stories were about China. Well, you know, why shouldn't the NSA be spying on China? That's their job. You know, that's a completely different thing to them, um, you know, intercepting um, Americans' uh, communications, who, you know, people who've done nothing wrong in, in the United States. Uh, there were lots of the Snowden uh, documents that were released that I couldn't see any public interest uh, angle to them whatsoever. But it didn't really make any difference because... You know, we were also interested in finding out about what our spy agencies do. Well, yeah, and I think the the Edward Snowden story um, got a bit out of hand. It's probably a very mild way of putting it. Um, <laughs> and and what's interesting is that you, we, we earlier were talking about the intercepted phone or the alleged intercepted phone call between Yulia yeah. and her cousin with with the Snowden claims, where the NSA at one point, you know, could almost just about read your thoughts. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen on American television, I could be wrong here, but I don't think I've ever seen an intercepted phone call uh, being broadcasted out like that, no. nor in England. No. Um, but in Russia, it has happened, possibly, yeah. or they might have made it up, I don't know. And this is the very country that Edward Snowden ended up running to, and it's just bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that it hasn't happened, of no. course, but, yeah, it's become so much part of, of, of Russian society. I mean, Russia, you know, Putin is not concerned about what public opinion might be. I mean, Putin's not concerned that people watching that broadcast might think, hold on a minute, why on earth, are, you know, are they, they broadcasting, how have they got hold of this recording? No one's even thought about, about that at all. Um, I mean, Snowden um, made some fairly grand claims, I would say, uh, early on. But, I mean, his basic idea was a kind of preemptive, I think, that he was whistleblowing preemptively, that it might get to that kind of stage if someone didn't step forward. And I think he had some sensible things to say, but, I mean, uh, he released to who knows who, you know, an enormous, enormous, enormous amount of documents. And many of these were, you know, have been released. And as I say, I mean, if you... Again, I had arguments about that at the time where people would say to me, you know, this is a this is a public, you know, this is fine that he should do this. And I said, what's the public interest angle here? And people got, you know, people couldn't reply. There's there's lots of those stories that, as far as I can see, they they just aren't really public interest defences for, other than I'm interested and I'm a member of the public, which of course is not is not the same thing. No. But yeah. And people have, I mean, people have kind of forgotten about Snowden because now everyone's worried about Facebook uh, doing the same stuff that they worried that the NSA were doing. Which is interesting. A lot of the critics of the Snowden reporting at the time, people like Bob Seska, um, you know, were writing articles about, well, what about the private sector? What are they getting up to? Um, you know, because if anything, they're far more invasive. You know, your purchases on Amazon, you know, what you write on Facebook, Twitter. Um, yeah. And there was no, there's no public oversight to that, at least with what the NSA are doing. They have to get a warrant to sort of invade your privacy. I mean, and that's crucial because I think that with, with Facebook, I mean, they're using it anyway. They don't care who I am. The NSA or whoever, you know, any spy agency say, say, you know, say MI6, uh, MI5 had access to this phone call. I mean, then, you know, they could somehow get hold of it. They're not going to do this unless they have a very good reason to do it. Mm. You know, that reason might be wrong, but they're not just randomly listening to everything that everyone says all the time. But Facebook are because they're doing it, you know, it's automated. So, I mean, I, you know, last year I, I swim a lot. Um, but I'm quite short-sighted. So I, I did a Google search for, um, you know, prescription swim goggles. Mm. And 
still today I get Facebook ads for Scription Swim Goggles. And I didn't <laughs> Facebook, I did it on Google. Yeah. You know, and they, they that's a, a an automated, you know, bot or, you know, whatever it is that has picked that up. And so they they are actually using this information. I strongly doubt um, you know, that there are any intelligence agencies actually using my information. But I, you know, know perfectly well that Facebook and, and all of these other websites, including the websites, you know, who exposed, you know, some of Snowden's, uh, you know, revelations, they've all got cookies and bots all over them. You know, they're tracking everything that you're doing. So, yeah, I think there was a bit of hypocrisy there. Um, and people also have short memories because people were so outraged about Snowden. And now people just kind of, I mean, are we living in, a, in the totalitarian state that Snowden supposedly predicted? People seem to have, you know, just forgotten about the whole, you know, terrifying idea that, you know, they might be spying on your angry birds. I think Snowden might be living in the terrifying totalitarian <laughs> state he imagined. <laughs> well, I think, I think, yeah, perhaps, perhaps it's not so terrifying for him. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, mm. I think I wonder. I mean, that's always interesting, you know, how how. I mean, uh, he's not he's not a classical defector, but I mean, if you look at the British, the classic British, you know, double agents, Kim Philby and all of them, how they reacted once they moved to Moscow, you know, having been convinced of their ideals in that case of communism. And they, they reacted in different ways. Um, some of them kind of the shackles, you know, the scales fell from their eyes. Um, and some of them just continued to be true believers. And I wonder what the cognitive dissonance, I mean, he said a few things, Snowden, that are critical of Russia, but I wonder what he's really deep down thinking, you know, that he's he's clearly living in a place where it's much, much worse than what he was alleging, you know. Um, but I think he, he's, he's probably somehow squared that away that he thinks it was worth it. Yeah, it, it... <laughs> It reminds me of a weird. It reminds me of some quote I picked up from some spy book I read somewhere. So forgive me. Where apparently the only people who ever wanted to defect to Russia are people who had never actually been to Russia. Yeah, I think that's. <laughs> I think there's quite an element of truth to that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the situation is now, but yeah, no, it's a strange place. So, Jeremy, um, we're we're coming towards the end now. So I just wanted to invite you for any. Are there any final thoughts that you have on this on this big topic uh, that maybe we haven't covered or or that's important to you? Well, I think we've covered most of the things that I would think are important, I suppose. But I think one of the points that you made really, I think, is 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 crucial, which is is sources. I mean, what we're really talking about here is how do you ascertain whether or not something is true or not? You know, uh, with Salisbury, there have been all these conspiracy theories. And the main thing is how closely are you looking at this? You can't be certain about it. You can't be certain about anything in intelligence. But if you're going to start coming up with theories about, you know, maybe Iran was behind it or maybe Israel was behind it, you know, or you're sharing articles from certain people, you know, look closely and try and think about what you haven't, you know, there might be things that you haven't considered. Um, and I think if you if you're really determined to find out everything about nerve agents and, and everything like that, you know, that's fine. But if you're starting to see everything as a conspiracy, like every event of this sort, uh, there must be, you know, secrets and, and a conspiracy behind it, then I think, you know, take it, take a step back. Um, but I think, you know, the most important um, weapon against conspiracy theory, I think, uh, is research and facts and and uh, looking properly at things rather than just saying that you look properly at things. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Because, it's, it's, it, you know, it's incredibly easy for an event to get twisted um, online and, um, you know, and, and as we were saying earlier about people don't necessarily have 
time to devote to a subject so it's very easy to lose track of things and that's sort of sadly yeah. part of the point of disinformation <laughs> yeah i mean we live in i mean it's a cliche now but we live in a disinformation world we live in a post-truth world you know the president of the united states is a conspiracy theorist in in many mm. many ways mm. and we kind of let this run away so i mean really i would say you know the people who who are listening to this especially if some of your online uh, uh conspiracy theorist mates <laughs> are listening um is you know don't you know stick to the principles that you're claiming that you're sticking to which is that you're you're skeptical um and you're not trusting sources on on face value and you're going to look into things really really closely but actually do that actually read the articles actually properly look into stuff um, and consider, you know, maybe you're being played by Russia. Maybe, you know, if you think it's not Russia, what is your plausible explanation, uh, you know, alternative uh, explanation for it? Why Why is this? What's your evidence for that? And, you know, always apply Occam's razor, I think, is, is a pretty good rule as well. Yeah. And, and a funny thing I noticed with conspiracy theories, um, being a former conspiracy theorist myself, one of the things um, that's very popular is just to believe the exact opposite of convention. You know, if... if yeah. Ex, you know, if if um, you know people believe one thing happened, you then it have to believe, yeah. yeah, it was something else, and it's it's just so bizarre. Um, so but it, it's a it's a backlash thing. I mean, I think a lot of it. I mean, we were talking about Craig Murray before. I mean, a lot of these people are basically what who, people who used to be pub bores. You know, they're down the pub. They go, <laughs> oh yeah, Novichok, mate. You know, it's a it's a Novichok. It's a nerve agent, mate, isn't it? You know, and they'd come up with some you know absolute rubbish. <laughs> Um, and everyone would just roll their eyes. But the internet is basically just a kind of collection of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of these people, all of whom are communicating with each other. Um, and you get this kind of effect. As you say, it's, 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 it's exhausting. Um, and, to, and the other problem is it, to be able to actually knock down all these conspiracy theories it would just take far too long. And so they kind of just flourish like a virus and they just spread. And now, I mean, as we've discussed, I mean, they've got really quite a long way. I mean, you've got, you know, British MPs actually kind of taking the the Kremlin line. Um, and I, I mean, I think this is quite um, quite an alarming development. And I don't really, there aren't any easy answers to it, unfortunately. I mean, you know, you can't just say educate yourself. But I mean, that that essentially is 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 the only answer there is which is just you have to look more closely than this yeah definitely because the problem is if a concerted government effort was made to counter conspiracy theories yeah it adds fuel to the fire because it's like suddenly it's a government cover-up so tangential thought here but probably is relevant somewhere in it do you think online culture is distorting our sense of reality and i mean by these voices that repeat this sort of nonsense are they the minority becoming the majority or are they just the majority <laughs> that's an interesting question what was what was the other question and the other thing was just about like i think uh, one of my when i'm um when i was kind of coming out of my conspiracy theory phase i remember feeling and thinking about how in a sense dangerous these ideas are if they get taken too far because in a sense, people are distrusting their own society, their own government to such an extreme where um, after a while they just don't care for it anymore. Um, and, I, and I find I found that quite a dangerous sort of idea and I was quite concerned by that. And I do worry that sometimes, you know, with these sort of cranks online, we've, we've turned a blind eye, we've sort of, sort of laughed it off a bit. But now, especially with the rise of Trump, it feels like it's no longer a joke. 
I mean, Trump is a you know classic example. I mean, what are the what are the consequences? Well, that's the actual American president, and in real time, we're we're looking at the loss of American influence around the world as a result of it, and and respect and everything else, and and it's a serious danger to democracy uh, in the United States, I think, and you you can't underplay it. And I think you know also, yeah, I think it, the fatigue thing is also important that you mentioned because people who aren't in the conspiracy theory camp get overwhelmed by it which again is a, is a purpose of disinformation that you sort of give up i mean i don't know about you but i've certainly had that feeling about social media and the news you know since really trump uh god you know i, I almost can't face watching the news or finding out more about this stuff because it's all just so depressing and the same feeling really with salisbury that you can't really read all of this stuff it's just too much stuff and that and that's and that's part of the idea so reasonable um voices or reasonable thoughts then get lost in a sea of, of this kind of conspiracy theory and then i also uh, think about what's happened with the labor party and with the with the anti-semitism um problem that they have and i mean i've been looking at that uh on on social media for a few years you know since corwin came came to become Labour leader. And I remember at the very beginning when that happened, I was kind of finding lots of people who were who were Labour uh, on Twitter who were, you know, saying, you know, terrible views about, you know, thinking that, you know, the Zionists run the world or the Rothschild agents run the world or whatever it is, all of these kind of things. I remember quite a few people, this is, you know, when did he come? Was it 2015? Was he yeah, leader? It was, yeah, it was towards the end of 2015. No, or no, it was sixteen actually. I think it was two thousand sixteen. He became okay, so leader around. So some yeah. some point in two thousand sixteen, a lot of the replies that I was getting from sort of sensible people in quote marks, if you like, was yeah, but Jeremy, this is just you know a few people. These are just a few trolls. Why are you picking on that person's got seven followers and there is an egg, um, and this isn't representative of Labour. But the problem is that because nothing was done about it. I mean, all of these people are real people, you know, just because they've got seven followers and they don't have an avatar or they aren't using their real name. They can still go to the meetings and they can still, you know, vote in their local CLP and all this kind of stuff. And that's exactly what's happened. And these people have pretty much, I mean, it doesn't matter really if they're the majority or not. They've got, um, they've overwhelmed, they've got enough that they have managed to overwhelm the moderates um, to the extent where, I mean, if you, you know, Jeremy Corbyn closed down his, you know, personal Facebook account, I mean, if you go to pretty much any Labour-supporting Facebook group, you will find um, conspiracy theories. Um, and most of them, you'll find anti-Semitic conspiracy theories of some sort. But in, I, I would challenge anyone to find you know, a Labour-supporting group on Facebook with, say, over 100 members that doesn't spout you know, Russia Today propaganda or, or have conspiracy theories in it. Um, because it's just taken over because these are the people who they, they weren't tamped down and so it might have been true in 2016 when people said that to me but it's not the case now and that was the thing that i was worried about then was you can't just dismiss these people as trolls and just think that, that that's not going to that that's going to get rid of the problem these people are real people and they can actually have serious influence and i think that's what's happened and i think as to your other point i think that's the danger the wider danger. I mean, the fact that people are taking Craig Murray, uh, a lot of, you know, formerly, I would say, credible journalists are taking Craig Murray seriously is really a sign of what you're talking about, that we now, 
that we're creeping into having someone whose ideas are that you know labor labor mps signing an edm must be you know always a bit fishy because they've got something to do with you know labor friends of israel i wonder why and you know there's a zionist unionist media nexus i mean this is fishing in very very dangerous waters and um you have this kind of irony that a lot of public opinion in russia will be much much more um certain than public opinion in the West. We're all drowning and doubting absolutely everything that anyone says, and they're all believing everything that their government says. Um, so I, I think I think you're right. I mean, sadly, I mean, it's a bit of a depressing note for us to end on, but I, 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 think, it, I think it is a serious problem, and I hope that um, more serious minds, perhaps, than my own, are, are trying to think of ways to, to do it, because Salisbury is just like, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is, this is happening with every event. Yeah, definitely. And and gosh, we've got um in America the midterm elections are coming up later this year and I'm sure there'll be some interesting online activity around that, won't there? Indeed, <laughs> indeed yeah. I mean, yeah, we haven't even gone into the the elections and the fact, you know, how the Russians meddled in that. So yeah, I mean there's there's this is just part of part of life now, isn't it? This is part of the background of everything. As you say, it's it's actually become so much part of it that we're we're almost kind of exhausted by it and we can't keep up with it all. Yeah. No, definitely. Fun enough, I think I, I got that sense from one of my guests last week. You know, he, he was giving, giving his impression that he's getting tired of everybody just blaming Russia for everything online. Um, and I could understand that fatigue totally because it does seem like every other day there's some story where a Russian bot's done this or Russian something's done that. Uh, and for some people yeah. that becomes far-fetched but if you've been watching Russia um, for the last few years unfortunately it's not that far-fetched well it can also be the case that you know say Russia is responsible for you know seven things and you accuse them of 86 things um, people then tune out and go but look those things aren't true so then then they don't think that the, the first things that you accuse them of are true so I mean that's also that's also classic disinformation you know that you can i mean this is getting a bit um thrillery i suppose but you can falsely accuse russia of something so absurd that you can then undermine real accusations against russia um so there's all sorts of um, games that can be played but that i mean yes that, that that's part i think of why people have had this reaction to salisbury as well as well as all the other things we've talked about is this idea oh god russia again they're behind everything are they and i think that, that there is a fatigue from people with that and then they distrust all all accusations against russia yeah and on one final note um i was having a chat with a, a former because well with a friend of mine who is still an active conspiracy theorist it was a good friend of mine when i was a conspiracy theorist and we have totally well different world visions these days and he was laughing at me because i uh, believe that russia potentially uh, meddled in the american elections so uh, you know the tide has turned doesn't it yeah it's very odd isn't it that, that, that so many of these people are kind of uh, defending the greatest conspiracy theorists of them all is it, have you seen this uh, documentary icarus Oh no! I've heard. I've heard. About, I've been told. Uh, really, uh, yeah. it's really, really good. I mean, it, it's uh, it's not a subject that it's about. You know, sport, doping, and sports. It's not a subject that I was you know particularly thinking I would be interested in or knew anything about. Um, but it is absolutely brilliant. It's on. I think it's on Netflix UK. It's certainly on Netflix here. And I mean, the the footage it has of, of Putin is is really really chilling because you kind of see exactly what he's made of. Um, but it's a it's a brilliant document. It's a completely. It takes a completely unexpected turn in it, um, and it's not really what you'd expect it to be. But I think in terms of these kind of like how far Russia will go um, to get what it wants and how uh, devious it can be and how 
blatant it can be, I think that's a really, really compelling documentary. And um, if you're someone who who thinks, you know, uh, the Russians don't do this kind of stuff and it's all just, um, you know, the West making this stuff up, I, I'd really, really recommend that documentary. Excellent. Well, look, well, Jeremy, thank you so much for us. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm hoping listeners will too. I, I, you know, it's a lot of things. I mean, you know, we certainly in some ways put the world to right, but we don't know how to really fix <laughs> we it, have. do we? I feel like I should have a point in my hand while we're while having this conversation as well. <laughs> yeah. I know, I didn't want to say it. We've become the pub bores, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I could sense you, is it? I could sense you were going down that, down that line. No, but it was great to, great to chat with you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Like what we're doing? Connect with us on Twitter at DryCleanerCast. Support the show by becoming a DryCleanerCast Patreon subscriber today. Go to patreon.com slash drycleanercast. That's patreon.com slash drycleanercast. Thanks for listening. This is Need to Know. <laughs>